Hi Seattle, what a beautiful city. Your wonderful jazz scene saw the careers of Ray Charles and Quincy Jones flourish. You practically gave birth to Jimi Hendrix and were the stomping ground of Nirvana and Soundgarden. But it's not just grunge we can thank you for, but other great wonders like that big space needle thing and Starbucks. In short, this city is the birthplace for so many things. Tonight, the CDC says the infected passenger passed through busy SeaTac Airport in Seattle, the first confirmed U.S. case of the contagious coronavirus now in Washington state. The world has changed a bit since then. January of 2020, a real line in the sand for America. The pandemic changed day-to-day life into a bit of a hellscape that frankly still seems incredibly difficult to escape. And it's not just the reality of the virus. It's the social changes we've seen too, including the proliferation of absolutely batshit conspiracy theories about where we're headed and what got us here. Who got us here? And this is how they're doing it, because Big Pharma connects into the same bloody force as the secret societies, Satanism and the political structure, thus they all work as one unit. They shoot their mouths off at the conferences with Winfrey there, literally saying, thank you Bill and Melinda Gates for funding global depopulation. From Alex Jones to David Icke, this pandemic has seen the obliteration of humankind's mental functions leading people to believe politicians are draining children of their blood in underground basements. And the man who gave birth to the personal computer is now on a campaign to wipe out humanity. This guy is involved in everything in terms of funding through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that is the agenda. Yes, David Icke, the man who believes lizard people are ruling the earth, also has beef with Microsoft. We need saving from Bill sodding Gates in my view obsessed with population control. And people like David Icke and Alex Jones aren't the only ones who hold this utterly vacuous point of view. Somehow, Bill Gates has become a central figure in the conspiracy theories that have spread around the planet like a mm, virus. And now he's got a shot. And before you can get a job or live, you're going to take it. Then you're going to die of cancer in a couple years. He'll be laughing his ass off. You know, nobody would have predicted that I and Dr. Fauci would be so prominent in really evil theories about did we create the pandemic, are we trying to profit from it, and on and on. The funny thing is that Bill was of course born here in Seattle. And to be honest, part of me worries he's in the audience hearing these very stupid theories about himself. Anyway, boot up Windows 95 and get that modem dialing. This is the Bill Gates episode. Okay, okay, so, wow, where to begin? Um, Alex Jones, let's just, let's just touch on Alex Jones. Oh boy. He must be on the verge of coronary collapse, right? When I see a clip of him, there's fucking garden hoses coming to you. I gotta tell you another thing about this other thing. The whole fucking world's starting to get us. He's so passionate. You can't, yeah. you can't deny that he's passionate. You, you gotta admire the passion. 
He's become increasingly hectic as time's gone on. I mean, when he started, he was kind of like this little guy in the conspiracy world. A lot of conspiracy theorists online were kind of dry nerds and just not much fun. He brought a certain showmanship to it all. And he was kind of fun initially. He slowly morphed into the opposite of fun, where he's spreading the worst ideas imaginable around and still being incredible. He's just awful. He's an awful human. I also want to point out that in that clip of him, Bill Gates wants to profit from this. If there's any fucking guy that doesn't need to hustle for some money, it's the goddamn fourth richest man in the world. What the fuck kind of, when you're getting into like, you know, any good investigation involves like motive. Yeah, you think Bill's at home like, how can I get another billion? A hundred won't do. I mean, when I was using Windows 95 back in the day, I never saw this coming. And I think it's that, sure. it's that thing of like, I it guess was, that perceived, it, it, it's that perceived wealth, it's the work in the health space, and it's the tech stuff. It's that, you know, when the pandemic was very first starting, people thought it was being spread by the 5G cellular network. So like that whole tech health intersection and money has just got people spinning out in a incredibly bonkers way. And I, and I gotta say, if you didn't take the time to either listen to our Bill Gates interview and or look at the comments, I just want as a point of reference to say that Obama, pretty popular guy, maybe there were 1,100 comments. Bill Gates had like 3,700 comments and I thought, wow, this yeah. really made an impact. And I read it all and up until that point, I had no idea he was at the center of all this stuff. And, and, yeah. and then, of course, I then became associated with it, too. So now these people believe I, too, have children in my basement. And you've yeah. been trying to pronounce adrenochrome ever since. <laughs> Joke's on them. I have a theater in my basement. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I mean, not letting you're... any fucking kids anywhere near somewhere I'm trying to watch a movie. You're part of Hollywood, Dex. So, yeah, of course, you're part of the conspiracy. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Yeah, so we're going to endeavor on this, Bill. Gates conspiracy, but it's with a little reservation because I just need you to know I love him so much and I, I'm aspiring with everything in me to become his best friend, as we all know. Yeah, but again, it's like, it's that thing where it's like, you rewind to when I was a teenager, in New, well, not a teenager, preteen in New Zealand, like using Windows, like opening up Office, learning how to do Excel you love formulas. Windows. Like you start typing a letter and like suddenly like Mr. Clippy comes up offering help, the weirdest personal assistant. <laughs> Mr. Clippy, you get it, right? I love That's him. a thing. He's so he would cute. Pop, he would pop up and suddenly Look, even Bill's gonna ask the bee every now and then with Mr. Clippy. That's the thing. Monica. We should take a moment to thank my dad. I was just going to say, everybody, Ashok's simulation is thriving. It is going strong. Okay, when did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Well, let's just say I'm a weirdo and I want to be messy and see what you're up to, like who you're hanging with. I can just stalk your pay app and find out 
what you're doing. I knew you did that. <laughs> no, I did not do that. <laughs> I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends. And then use that money any place Apple Pay is accepted. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Monica, please keep it in the chat. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. We are supported by Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Mm. Ooh. Myrtle Beach, I have so much nostalgia. Me too. I did a spring break in Myrtle yes. Beach. Yes. Did you guys used to go there from Georgia? Yeah. It mm. was a very common beach destination. Ugh. Long sun-drenched days, live music every night, and 60 miles of uninterrupted coastline to enjoy. The beach truly is where your best self comes out. Combine that with the irresistible aroma of fresh seafood, southern classics, and local low country cuisine from over 2,000 restaurants, and you've got yourself the perfect vacation. You belong at the beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. That's visitmyrtlebeach.com. Mr. Gates, welcome to Armchair and Dangerous. <laughs> We have Diet Cokes in your honor. <laughs> you know, uh, I got to cheers you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fresh, fresh adrenochrome. I will open one in your honor also. Yeah. Yeah, these are two brand new Diet Coke drinkers for the occasion. Yeah. For you. I do regret not wearing something blue because last time you did tell us that blue is your favorite color. But I didn't have anything cool enough. Well, I got a blue tattoo in your honor oh, since nice. then. There we go. And, and I'm wearing blue slacks, which David didn't know were called seersucker because he's from New Zealand. That's what right. an idiot. You learn new things every day. <laughs> and Bill, you're the man behind all of this. <laughs> I think I'd like to start, Bill, with acknowledging that you have probably wisely just kind of avoided this topic. <laughs> and then quite bravely decided to confront the topic <laughs> with a Kiwi, a comedian, and a dog's graduate. So, <laughs> God bless. National champs. Can we ask just really quickly, what has led to the decision and, and how have you personally thought whether or not to address this stuff? Well, this, I, this is my first time in public for a long time, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah, welcome. It's uh, a great way to open that door. Now, now, we had fun last time we talked and some of this stuff is so unreal. You know, it's almost like, really? Do I need to track people? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why? Do I need to know where people are? So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would imagine that your position on this might follow one of mine, which is like, don't argue with the guy in front of 7-Eleven that has a parrot on his shoulder. He's already declared quite loudly, nothing rational is going to happen in this exchange. So I got to imagine on some level you're like, to even comment would be to dignify it in some way. Yeah, although it's pretty scary stuff in that even if you don't bleed the theories, it tends to undermine the whole idea of, okay, should we be careful in our behavior? And, you know, are these vaccines, you know, have we been wise in asking people to protect themselves and reduce 
how much they infect other people. And so, you know, there's no doubt it's had a malign effect, splitting us sort of into two camps in terms of whether, okay, even the epidemic, some people doubt it or think it was created for evil things. It's an incredible tragedy, and you'd hope that that would drive us together. Yeah, it's not unlike some other ones we've had where we had this great opportunity to be unified under some common threat, and we chose not to do it. And it, it, It's heartbreaking because you would hope that would be the one good thing we could wring out of this. And we're going to get to some of your opinions in a minute about how that divisiveness starts, what we could potentially do to curb it. But before we do that, I know David has a few he'd like to clear up. So I try and follow a lot of conspiracy theory narratives. Where people started cottoning on to this idea that you were behind some sort of global agenda, I think was from a TED talk you did where a single sort of line you talked about population and how vaccines played into that got taken out of context in a pretty major way and has kind of haunted you ever since. And like paraphrasing, it was basically a phrase saying, hey, if we can get people vaccinated, we can decrease the population. That's the quote that spreads around. Yeah, that's a counterintuitive thing, which is that all societies that are healthy, where children grow up and survive, are societies where there's not significant population growth. The place that you have population growth is in very poor countries where over 10% of the children are dying below the age of five. And amazingly, as you bring in vaccines or better nutrition, anything to improve the health, parents choose to have less children because they're sort of optimizing that they want at least several of their children to survive, to take care of them in their old age. And so, in fact, in an uncertain environment, you know, there's no, like, pension payment. It's really your kids are your only hope for your old age. So what we've seen in every country is that as you improve health, very quickly, parents more than offset those extra lives and therefore the population growth goes down. And so today in the world, the only places with population growth are these very poor countries where we haven't done a good job protecting the children. That completely makes sense and is not scary at all. Like, did you notice when that phrase had gotten out of hand online? When I screw up online, like, you, you notice comments start to come in. It's that horrible feeling of like, oh, what's going on? Do you remember the moment you clocked that, something unusual happening with that? I have two TED Talks that are reasonably well known. The 2010 one that you're referring to is actually a talk about climate mm-hmm. and saying we need to get serious about climate change. And that, you know, the idea that I briefly said something about vaccines, I, of course, at the time, I had no idea that would be taken out of context. I have many other speeches where I I explain how our foundation chose to get involved in vaccines because I was shocked that these very low-cost shots that can stop pneumonia and diarrhea, they were getting to the rich kids who are not at risk of dying, and they weren't getting to the kids in the poor countries who really were dying. And it seemed like such an insane thing that Melinda and I decided, okay, this will be a primary focus of the foundation. And that's gone very well. In fact, when we got going, over 10 million children would die every year. Now, gone from 10 million down to 5 million. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole bunch of people that can claim involvement in a victory like that. Yeah. If I were you, I would want to scream from the rooftops, like, 
So if you're mad I want the population to go down, my assumption is you want it to skyrocket? Like, who is out there thinking, seven billion, man, we can do better. We gotta get to 15 billion. We just must. So I don't even understand, even if he was an evil genius, still an interesting desire for way more people on planet Earth. But that's me yeah. talking, not anyone else. Speak I for want yourself. Everyone, yeah, I'll speak for myself. Um, can I please, please, please do a sidebar? Because even though Bill is here, it's still an armchair show. Yeah. So it's still going to be a little bit gross. Um, I do have to tell everyone, because diarrhea just reminded me, yeah. when we were in the green room, um, uh. unfortunately, this is not where you think it's going to go. This is not where you think it's going to go. Um, but Rob washed his hands and then came out and was like, that's, oh, it was maybe Bob and Rob. I don't know. They washed their hands and they were like, our hands smell like diarrhea. And it was the soap. And then we all had to go in and wash our hands and smell our hands. And, and then we it's real a conspiracy. You didn't, yes. you didn't yeah. know this, but we all had a collective conversation, which was like, do not fucking wash your hands if you're going to shake Bill's hands. He's going to go He's, home tonight. He's going to think we smell like diarrhea. He's going to think we, we had diarrhea on our so hands. So that all so happened behind the scenes, and you didn't know BTS. about it. Yeah, it's a little BTS. Okay. Yeah. Okay. David, <laughs> it's smelling okay now. Take us back. I can't even Take look us back at to it the promised land. I just feel. Uh, uh, the, what do you see is the problem? Diarrhea, diarrhea, us. diarrhea. Go, David. Because for me, I feel like the big problem we have, and a big part of it, is that information is being taken completely out of context. Like we're living in a world where we fire out like very short TikToks and tweets and things we've seen, and context is dropped, and so we end up in like this misinformation hellscape. Like, where do you see the main driver behind misinformation? Well, certainly the pandemic has people looking for simple solutions. You know, and the simplest solution to any problem is there's a bad guy behind the curtain doing this, and if we just found him out and got rid of him, then, you know, everything would be okay. The idea that Dr. Fauci got picked for sort of that behind-the-curtain role, and I got picked for it, I wouldn't have expected it. Uh, <laughs> it was a surprise. I guess, yeah, I'd be quicker to point a finger at the host of a get COVID party. Yeah. <laughs> but they went to you guys. But, you know, I am involved with vaccines. You know, I have more money than makes sense for someone to have. You know, you can start <laughs> feeling that's a little bit weird. Uh, <laughs> and... <laughs> then I do think the other TED Talk I gave, the one that was five years later in 2015, where I said we're not ready for the next pandemic and talked in broad terms about, sadly, what eventually shows up, you know, then that creates this association that maybe I predicted it and then I was feeling bad that my prediction was wrong <laughs> and I had to yeah. do something about it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Because didn't I think John Hopkins also ran a simulation, right, about a yeah. coronavirus spread that happened just before coronavirus spread Yeah, out. that was really ironic, that literally yeah. <laughs> in the month when it may have just been breaking out in Wuhan, here in the United States, just to try and get people to think through, okay, how we scale up diagnostics and therapeutics, yeah. we were doing, they weren't big simulations where you'd have people move around. It was all kind of a tabletop thing where you'd kind of talk through the scenarios. But that was a, an effort to get people thinking through what would be done. Yeah. And what we've seen is that a few countries, New Zealand, Australia, are good examples. They did 
enough diagnostic work and quarantine work before the numbers got big and then really maintained a walled off approach. So their death rate per population is about a 50th of what we've had in the United States. So, you know, it's been tough to maintain, like keeping you out of the country, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pluses and minuses, you know? I'm glad thousands of my fellow country people aren't dead, but I'm also annoyed that they're not letting me back in right now, you know? It's big of you, though, to not like be like, what about these Johns Hopkins people? Like pointing yeah. the finger at different Well, I way. funded them to do that. Oh. <laughs> okay, okay. What if by the end yeah. of this we're like, yeah. Yeah, for a, for a guy who's like, trying to hustle a few more bucks, you're certainly giving it away pretty quickly. No, but of course you want to run a simulation to figure out how to deal with a coronavirus outbreak. It's just like incredibly weird timing. And I feel like that's all conspiracy theorists do is jump on, because there are a lot of random events that happen and the joy of being a conspiracy theorist is going, oh, that thing lines up with that thing, lines up with that thing. Well, they're, they they're masters of correlation, but not causation, right? That's kind of- 100%. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you're stuck in the middle of, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it gives them a dopamine hit to, like, make that connection, I assume. Totally. It's fun. It's like you're inventing your own reality. I want to try know. it. <laughs> no, don't go down that path. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not the idea of the show. It's simpler than the truth. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And it's a better story. Like, it's a more dramatic, exciting story having this exciting conspiracy theory narrative than something, like, dead boring, like, yeah. everything that's happening. Well, you could get mad at the bats. It's all their fault. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you've been involved in technology, you read more than any human should ever read. Do you have any take on how to, like, pare back the misinformation and disinformation? Because at the moment, there's a bunch of people, I've certainly noticed it here in America, that are just living in a reality that's completely detached from anything real. Like, how do we pull this back? Especially as we're, like, jumping into metaverse land, we're going to be on the internet pretty much all the time. The single thing people should be pissed at you about, no one's even bringing up, which is you fucking got this computer in everyone's house. No one's saying that. Like, what's going on here? Everyone's missing the headline. Well, the computers have been pretty handy during the pandemic. <laughs> Touche. I do think vaccination, you know, which is kind of a non-intuitive thing that you say to somebody, bring us your young children, we have this metal needle, we're gonna stick it in their arm, they're gonna scream like mad, they might even have a fever afterwards, but this is the best thing you're ever gonna do for them. That requires a lot of trust. Wow, you've really tracked this and it's super safe. So even before the pandemic, there were people both on the left and right who sort of their view and trust in the government, does the government check things? Is there somebody malign who's manipulating those things? So immunization was already tough. And then during the pandemic, the idea of if we try and push too hard, there'll be a push back, but we want to save lots of lives. I mean, you know, I wish they would publish every day the percentage of the deaths that are unvaccinated because it's over 90%. Yeah, one of them was 13 to one before the booster. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, just remind people both in terms of your own risk and particularly elderly people that you might be around or people with comorbidities. So we took a pandemic, we took a politically polarized time period, and then we took a set of measures where we're kind of pushing people 
to get vaccines, and so, okay, there's the government, you know, why are they pushing me to do this thing? And it all spiraled into unrest, and then these over-simple ideas about, oh, somebody orchestrated this whole thing yeah. to make money or to track people. Yeah. yeah, someone's pulling the strings. Yeah, I don't even really want to know where the people I care about are, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> best we don't even know where the people we love are. <laughs> um, so, Monica and I are lucky enough to receive Bill's end-of-year letter from 2021. This one just arrived. Uh, it's so flattering. I just gotta say it. <laughs> I barely got out of high school, Bill. Um, <laughs> you do a really good job of acknowledging where your predictions fell short, what's encouraging. You have this kind of unrelenting optimism that I love and I'm so grateful for. And first and foremost, I just want to say that in this very miserable year, your daughter got married. Congratulations. That's so beautiful. Thank you. You got two kids away at school, almost impossible to do. So there's been some highlights, but I want you to sum up what you think went wrong and what went right. I mean, I think if we could settle on mRNA, I think that's a miracle that happened that people are losing sight of because of all the other stuff. Yeah, the idea we got vaccines within a year uh, is phenomenal. You know, in the past, it always took about five years to get vaccines. And, you know, if we hadn't had the vaccines, the death toll in a lot of countries would have been over double what it actually was. And this mRNA approach to making vaccines that our foundation and others have been investing in, it's not just good for pandemic vaccines. We're going to use mRNA to make a far, far better flu vaccine. Eventually, we should be able to make good enough vaccines to get rid of these colds, to get rid of the flu, to get rid of the common cold, mm. to get rid of coronaviruses. And and you really want to do that because, A, there's a, actually a pretty big burden of these things. For example, when pregnant women get the flu, it, it predicts much worse outcomes for their child. And any one of these respiratory viruses can mutate into some form that causes death. And so, you know, respiratory viruses are the ones to be afraid of. And over the next decade, if we fund the R&D and build the products, I think we can actually get rid of those. We are supported by BetterHelp. Listen, I understand that sometimes you want to keep things to yourself, process your emotions in your own time. But if you keep everything bottled up, it can have some serious consequences. I have therapy on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I had therapy this morning. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it put me in the greatest mood. We had a long, big day, and I just felt much better for having you were some... not to out you. You were a little grumpy going in. I was. I was. I was to be <laughs> Rob specific. and I received some texts this Yeah, I was morning. locked out of my therapy setting, which is this attic. <laughs> <sighs> but then you felt much better after. I felt much better, and I even made some apologies. Um, talking things out can be so helpful, and if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. Check out BetterHelp if you've been thinking of trying therapy. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for any reason for no additional charge. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DAX. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. We are supported by Taco Bell. Ooh. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy and we're always craving something really yummy. Yes, yeah, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all new cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is mm. exactly that. Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage, and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. Outrageous. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken menu at Taco Bell now. It was also a really lucky course of events that led to three being released, right? One, the traditional kind we're used to, and if I understand it correctly, you're taking some bit of the actual virus and then kind of introducing it to your body, the Johnson & Johnson one, and then we had these two new ones that were under so much scrutiny, and people chose accordingly, and the data's kind of absolutely undeniable, right? The other two were so significantly more effective than the old-fashioned one that everyone felt comfortable with. Yeah, the easiest way to make a vaccine is you take the virus and you take a bunch of it and you kill it. That's called an inactivated vaccine. And the Chinese manufacturers, two of them made that, and it works okay. Then, as you said, there's another type where you stick the spike protein in a, another virus, and Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca used that approach. And then Moderna and Pfizer took this approach that no commercial vaccine had ever used before, even though the idea came out of a laboratory, Mariko Caitlin, who I'm sure will win a lot of prizes, was a very stubborn, brilliant scientist who, with uh, Drew Wiseman's support, came up with this thing. But the companies jumped on it and have made billions of the vaccines. And they, although all these vaccines are quite good, the very best ones, the most impactful, have been the mRNA vaccines. In some ways, I feel really sad for people who didn't say, oh my God, this is great, because it was a year. No vaccine has ever happened this fast before, and it just makes, I'm like, they just don't believe that, like, miracles can happen. Like, it makes me sad. You know what I mean? Yes, which is ironic because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there has not been a single medical invention that has saved more lives than vaccinations, right? There's this great uh, radio lab on the guy who that cracked nine of these, you would know his name. If you add up how many lives this guy saved, it's like in the hundreds of millions. And he's not, there's no statues around and there's no anything. It's, uh, 
Yeah, Morris Hillelman. There uh, we go. Worked for Merck uh, <laughs> and made made a lot of vaccines. In fact, the mumps vaccine, he did a swab into his daughter's throat and used that to actually make the mumps vaccine. So yeah, no, vaccines are a miracle because they prevent disease. We've only eradicated one disease, smallpox, and that was done because we had a great vaccine for it. We're fairly close with luck in the next three years or so. We'll have the second disease, which is polio. Um, and we're, we're getting close anyway. It's hard to get rid of diseases, but vaccines are the way to do it. Well, they also become a victim of their own efficacy. My grandfather had polio as a kid. His throat was permanently paralyzed as a result of it. And at these Thanksgiving dinners, Bill, this man would eat for three hours. Like the way he would coax that stuff down. It was quite an event to see. You wouldn't forget it. So I kind of had at least some touchstone of what that thing was. And, if, and in his generation, he saw many kids on old wooden crutches, like out of a Dickens story. But because it's so effective, people no longer fear polio. So that's a weird catch-22 of their efficacy. But what's the speed of making this vaccine that got people suspicious though, right? Like people like, how can they do it in a year? There's something odd about this. But if someone said, look, I'm gonna wait a couple of months that's actually semi-rational. You know, some people are more risk-averse than other people, particularly if you're isolating. But this vaccine is being given billions of times now. So our safety database that side effects, although they exist, are, are very rare, we have a better safety database on this than we have on any vaccine we've ever created because we're watching so carefully and we're giving so many doses. So once you get, you know, five or six months out and you know, okay, a billion people went before me and that looks pretty good. Uh, uh, you call me when it's three billion, Bill. Billion's not gonna cut it for me. Call me at a hundred billion, wink, wink. Sorry, I know that makes you uncomfortable. Um, I remember watching 60 Minutes, like three weeks into this, and a lab had cracked the DNA of this within three days. Like, they had the recipe for the solution. And one of the failings of this rollout has been the inequity of vaccine allocation. And that's something that really I don't hear many people concerned about. And I know so much of your energy is going into that. So can you tell people what, what that means and, and what the solution is? Well, in general, in health, the difference between being somebody who gets sick in a poor country versus somebody who gets sick in the United States is very, very dramatic. You know, also somewhat within the country in terms of having health insurance, but you know, if you get cancer in a poor country, you're not going to get some expensive chemotherapy treatment. There just is, aren't the resources to do it. So only the very basic low-cost medicine things. Now, vaccines, fortunately, can be made so low-cost they can get out to everyone. As the pandemic hits, the dream would have been not only to have it in a year, but to have enough for everyone. So say a two-dose vaccine, seven billion people, you know, we needed 14 billion doses. So when you have the first billion, who should get them? Well, if you were really being fair, you would say, okay, this is a disease that kills older people and people have tough medical conditions. And so all the vaccines 
would have gone to the old people and the people with the tough medical conditions. And then, only then would you go get people in their 40s, 30s, 20s, and so on, where there is a benefit, but a dramatically lower benefit. Unfortunately, the political leader of a rich country you know, has a hard time saying, okay, some of our 50-year-olds will die, but you know, a tenth as many as the 60-year-olds the in this other country, and so you know, I'm not keeping the vaccines, even though they were made in this country, and you know, the scientific research was done in this country, and so we don't have like, you know, a world government that sits there and allocates it. So the allocation, like all things in health, was incredibly inequitable, a number of things were done. The U.S. eventually did come up with money. European countries did. Our foundation did. So we got factories in India making vaccine, and that helped quite a bit because they have big factories that make low-cost vaccines. But typically about a nine-month delay between when, if you were in a rich country, when you had the ability to get the vaccine versus if you were in a, a poor country. Uh, and even now, that we have enough vaccines that are manufactured, the logistics of delivery and getting the message out has been very weak. The demand in those countries is even worse than in the United States. The United States, compared to other rich countries, we are quite low in the percentage of people who've chosen to be vaccinated. But then as you get into these poor countries, the lack of trust in the government, and because the average age is so low, not that many people have died, so they don't feel the same sort of emergency thing that we do where, you know, we look like at elder care homes and, you know, there were lots of those where 20% of the residents died from the disease. And, you know, in the early days, that was this incredible tragedy. It would get in to elderly homes and spread very rapidly. Now, just to challenge this a little bit, I actually got frustrated from another point of view, being in California, which is they attempted to do the most equitable thing possible. And they started in all the, you know, most compromised and, and, and older, and it worked its way to Monica at the end there. She's healthy and young. So healthy. I was blessed with an autoimmune disease and addiction, so I got in there quickly. But <laughs> count your blessings. Dax. Dax. What was... Yeah. Bill Gates is here. Oh, Fucking no, Just it's hard to, to remind you. Thank you. Be present. <laughs> what I thought was really interesting is that in general, I noticed that red states had a real hard time controlling spread because they weren't enacting a lot of distancing and masks and whatnot. But weirdly, they were much quicker to get vaccinated as I was watching the maps because they just dumped it for whoever was ready to get it. And I found that in California, all these people that should have been getting it just weren't getting it. So it was sitting there and they kept trying to adjust. Okay, well, we opened it up for them, but we're not seeing the response we were expecting. Now we gotta ratchet down. And I thought, I got a little frustrated with that. I thought, oh, this is kind of an ironic twist in this story that the, the states that were maybe less committed to equity were just kind of like, come get it. And, and they just had a much quicker... Am I crazy about that observation? You're well, shaking the, your head. The blue states ended up with a higher vaccination rate. Florida's kind of an exception. They have a fairly high vaccination rate. And partly that's because of the age there that they had more personal experience of knowing somebody who died. Uh, and so even though they weren't very good on 
trying to control mobility, and they do have a somewhat higher death rate than you'd expect. They, they did pretty well on vaccination. Washington State actually did pretty well on vaccination. Um, there you go, guys. Congratulations, <laughs> guys. Yeah. That troll under the bridge was the first I heard. I got, that troll's 2,000 years old and has diabetes. Had what, to get is, him. what is the troll? There's a troll under a bridge here, and next to it is an upended VW Beetle buried in the ground. It's an exceptional thing. It makes no sense. I don't know totally why anyone normal. did it, and I love it. It's another normal thing. <laughs> now, another thing that worries you the most going into 2022 is the declining trust. And you're kind of admittedly don't know what to do about this. You, you have some technological thoughts on it. And I kind of want to propose one to you and, and see what you think of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a joke. <laughs> um, I weirdly related, if I can give a personal anecdote. I grew up with a lot of folks that were not to be trusted. And I also grew up in a socioeconomic pocket that didn't feel like the government was all that ready to help. And so I found myself in this counterintuitive position where like my education status and this and that should have predicted I would have been so open arms about all this. And I just found myself really going, well, hold on, who's telling me this? And I did it all, but it wasn't easy for me. And I do wonder if we are going upstream enough. It's really easy to write off all these people as, as belligerent and insolent and stupid and all this stuff, but I see a lot of people that have good reason not to trust a lot of people and a lot of institutions. And I wonder if we can go further and further upstream and commit earlier on to building that trust on the ground so people don't have that, as opposed to beating them over the head with, here's our, here's our data, you can trust us, but actually demonstrate, earning the trust, having the government earn the trust for the people that are doubting of their benevolence. Well, I hope that we can continue to improve government, the healthcare system, the education system. And I hope people realize that this country overall has done a very good job. We are very critical, which is fine, but the stability, the acceptance of who won an election, that's really good stuff. And if you give it up, <laughs> that may not be such a great thing. You know, I'm an optimist. I believe that, you know, we will improve education. The advances in healthcare, not just related to this pandemic, but the work on diabetes, Alzheimer's, obesity, cancer, you know, innovation's moving faster than ever. And will that kind of cheer people up and get us to feel like, okay, our, rather than our political party, our affinity is to the country and how it can do well, I don't know. I hope young people amaze me with their brilliant ideas because you know the trends are a bit scary. People are, are more polarized along political lines than any time during my lifetime. I, all I heard in that sentence was, I'm not young and I didn't amaze you. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> you just mentioned it, but one of the things you're most excited about is that we are like, knocking on the door of being able to test for Alzheimer's to, to be able to determine whether or not that's going to happen to you. So could you tell us how that's going to work? I think, I, I know I had a grandmother with it. I can't imagine anyone in this audience. It's like addiction. You, you, you have to have a family member affected by it. The brain is the most complex 
part of the body. We're just at the beginning of, of understanding it. Curing Alzheimer's would be a huge thing because the suffering, the cost is mind-blowing. In fact, my dad uh, had it for a number of years before he died. It's very hard to develop drugs, though, because since it's not easy to diagnose, we give people little quizzes, and if they have a good day, they do better, and then they get used to the quiz. And so these drug trials take like six years and $500 million. If we could just take a little bit of blood and say, okay, not only do you have Alzheimer's, here's how it's progressing. And then we could say, okay, does this drug slow that down or reverse it? Then you could do two-year trials that would be like $100 million. And so the speed of innovation would be a lot faster. And so nobody was really working that hard on a diagnostic, so a group of funders got together. And now, you know, it looks like in a couple of years we'll have that, you know, just take the blood and then it'll say, you have a little bit of Alzheimer's and we can come up with interventions. This is a really bad time to tell this joke, but it's my very favorite joke. Uh, and again, uh, my grandmother, who I love to death, had Alzheimer's. But it is my favorite joke, simply because of the delivery. A man goes for his yearly checkup. The doctor runs some tests, and he comes back, and he says, I have two very bad pieces of news for you. Number one, you have cancer. Number two, you have Alzheimer's. And he says, well, at least it's not cancer. <laughs> it is a good one. I got one more. I'm going to hit you with one more. Okay. Another old man who's kind of hard of hearing, and his wife does most of the listening and, you know, translates for him. He takes her to his yearly physical, and the doctor says, Okay, Mr. Bernstein, we're going to need a urine sample, a blood sample, and a stool sample. And he says, What did he say? And she says, He needs your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> ding, 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 <laughs> diarrhea. <laughs> I want to know how you handle everyone saying all this stuff about you. Like, you emotionally, emotionally, like as a human. Yeah. You have such a tough skin, and I know that's built up over time. You've been in the public eye for so long, but that would hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> Especially when you're working your fucking exactly. ass off on everything. Exactly. I'd be like, fuck you guys. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I'd say two things. First is, it's so abstract and unexpected that I almost think it must not be true. Uh, and, you know, I haven't been out in public that much, so the one time when I was dropping somebody off and a woman came and was yelling at me about how I put a chip on her and I was tracking her, I thought, did somebody hire this woman? Is this, you know, candid camera? Uh, you know, where they're, they're fooling me. And okay, now, you know, the world's gonna start going back to normal, and so, you know, I'll see if this is a real thing. But even so, I don't have that much to complain about. I mean, I've had a great life. You know, I love the work I do. There's lots of people who are super friendly about the work. So the fact that there's some people who have a weird view, I'm still not going to let it make me sad or, or something. I, I hope I don't end up in a confrontation someday where they're, you know. There's another uh, reason we need to start hanging out. I love throwing down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd watch that video when it goes viral, definitely. 
you just wrestling someone to the ground. But but isn't it true you then pulled out your phone and hit a button and the woman exploded? I think that's relevant. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't get that into the first version of the vaccine, but the next version we're gonna get that in there. Again. Again, if I believed that you had a chip in my body, you'd be the last person I'd start a fight with. Like, also, I'd be like, "Great, he's gonna fix me." Yeah, if I, I fuck, can you put it. a can you put a chip in my car keys and my phone? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, it's admirable. It is. It is. Like we're living. I I don't want to. This is for real. We're living in, as you know, the la- the first time we talked. I am obsessed with. John D. Rockefeller, not because of the monopoly, although it was impressive, uh, his contribution to medical research, standardizing medical training, getting rid of hookworm, his contribution was so enormous, and I'm so enamored with him, and I was reading that book, and I really had the thought, oh my freaking God, I'm with the dude that's doing this real time, and I can't wait for my great-great-grandchildren to step into the metaverse and read about you for doing this stuff. And that guy is your best friend. He's my best friend. Yeah. I'll probably be mentioned. I'll probably be mentioned that I say that I pulled his ass out of many a dust up over the years. <laughs> <laughs> now I just if we can touch on two more little things, I just want to ask you because I I have this opinion. In fact, I'm getting more and more dedicated to exposing it. I'm very frustrated that we're actually being told that we are in a battle between the left and the right. And I do not believe that. I believe we are in a battle of 80% versus 10 and 10. But somehow our media has convinced us that we are in a left-right. But when I look at the vaccination numbers, just to point out that, I mean, the, almost 80% of Americans got the first vax. Okay, when did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Well, let's just say I'm a weirdo and I want to be messy and see what you're up to, like who you're hanging with. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. I knew you did that. (laughs) No, I did not do that. (laughs) I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends and then use that money any place Apple Pay is accepted. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Monica, please keep it in the chat. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. We are supported by Sleep Number. Oh, mattresses can be a pretty big purchase. It's kind of like a home. You and your partner have to shop around for one that you'll both love, that's comfortable and suited to your preferences. Well, I'm about to make your lives a whole lot easier. Instead of hopping around from store to store, just check out Sleep Number Smart Beds. They're designed for you and your partner's ever-evolving sleep needs. When you see it, you'll know it's the one. I mean, this just changed the lives of my bride and I. The fact that we didn't have to compromise on the firmness of the mattress and the fact that it can evolve as we evolve is incredible. Sleep Number is great because it's all about what you need. You can adjust the firmness to your ideal settings on each side, perfect for couples. The smart beds respond and adjust to your movements throughout the night to help you sleep better. My Sleep Number is an 85. Whether you need something with more support or something to help quiet the snores, Sleep Number has you covered. So sleep better together with a Sleep Number smart bed. It's the only bed that lets you make each side firmer or softer whenever you like your Sleep Number setting. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
We are supported by Men's Warehouse. When you wear a tailored men's warehouse outfit, it makes you feel confident, like you can do anything. Whether it's a snappy suit that makes you want to dance at a wedding like no one is watching, or a smart casual outfit that gives you the confidence to nail a job interview. Yep, you should give Men's Warehouse a shot, and here's why. Men's Warehouse is the only nationwide men's clothing store that has a tailor in every store to fit your suit, shirt, jeans, etc. to your bod. Men's Warehouse features clothes from the best brands in the fashion world like Vera Wang, Kenneth Cole, and Calvin Klein. Men's Warehouse isn't just suits, they have jeans, t-shirts, shoes, hats, and even underwear. The tailoring is game-changing. It really makes a huge difference in people's outfits if it's tailored to your body. You could have a billion dollar suit and if it doesn't fit it looks terrible. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's key. Men's Warehouse is everywhere with 600 plus locations nationwide so if you need one, and you will, there's one near you. Feel like you can do anything in an outfit from Men's Warehouse. Visit your Men's Warehouse store or click or tap to shop online. So, this notion that half the country is rioting over it is horseshit. Some percent, some small percent. How do we break through the siloed and create the other silo of us alt-centrists or alt-rationalists who are really being wagged by the tail? Do you share that same opinion? Yes. I worry that those 10% are pulling people in because if you just listen to a certain source that's not about policy, but it's about sort of denigrating the other people, you know, so it's not all of us in it together. It's this group of people versus this other group. And there are trends, things like trust in government is particularly low. I view, my, I view myself as a centrist. Uh, I don't want to be pulled into some predictable identity game. I don't think either side really is putting enough effort into just thinking through, okay, why are some schools better than others? Why are some hospitals better than others? You know, can we collect more taxes and drive more equity? You know, can you help young people? And does that mean pre-K? Does it mean childcare? What does it mean to keep this rate of improvement, which has been quite good, to keep that going? If we devolve into really disliking each other politically, then the amount of room for just debating the design of health and education, it just gets drowned out. So yes, I'm a centrist, and the more people are in the center, I think, the better off the country is. Do you think, are you willing to make that same point while your neck veins of <laughs> teeter on a, uh, a structural integrity collapse and explosion? Do you think if you could maybe dis just disseminate the information with like some gusto and some yelling that might help. We'll call work that on that. Passion. Fuck, we'll hop over to Wendy's and we'll figure that out. <laughs> okay, the last thing I want to ask you about is energy. Monica and I were lucky enough to be a part of your book tour, your last book, How to Avoid Climate Disaster. Did I get it right? Yeah. Exactly, perfect. First and foremost, I love that you take a non-shame approach. I love that you take an approach that progress and development is beneficial for all the people that receive that. There's just a realist, pragmatic approach to the, the way you look at everything that's just really fascinating. And I want to know what miracles are on the forefront in energy? Is cold fission a thing that could happen? That one's a long shot. And no 
ideas should be rejected, you know, we should pursue that. But very few people think that one's going to work. There's hot fusion. You know, there's 14 companies that are working on it. Uh, many of them will fail. <laughs> I, I've invested uh, in some, but we only need one. Uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. There's going to be and failures, but you only need so one. So I've invested in one. Part of the problem is with climate change is we want to get these breakthroughs fairly quickly. So if I told you, okay, this is coming in 50 years, there'll be a lot of climate damage if we wait for an invention that only works and becomes economic in the 50-year time frame. So we need to pursue a lot of inventions. But I have to say, you know, in the years since we did that event together, uh, the amount of invention I've seen and the progress on invention and private sector companies saying they want to get involved in these things I'm actually feeling better about climate, that we will get the breakthroughs that we need, that the, the engagement on yeah, the issue... Baby. Uh, yeah, baby. Yes. You are news. an optimist. I need to hear that. We need some good news, yeah. Yeah. Because I get, I get so negative, and to hear someone much smarter than me being optimistic is encouraging. Yes. Because I wake up every morning like, oh, God, we're all... You know? <laughs> this is really encouraging to hear. Yeah. No, yeah, news has that sort of negative bias. You know, other than climate change, you know, many things we have these very positive trends. This is one that is built up over time that if we won't deal with it is very dire, particularly for countries near the equator. It's not great for the United States, but it's actually the poor countries will bear the burden on this. Yeah, good news, it's harder to get out than bad news. Bad news is like a disaster or a plane crash. I know we don't have you all night and you do have to leave at some point. I just I did quickly want to jump in and mention you are you're writing a new book at the moment or it's it's you've written and ready to come out. It's about the next pandemic, which sounds again, you're planning this one as well, are you? But <laughs> obviously you've you've learned a lot throughout this pandemic and I and my the negative profits have, have plateaued. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> But no, I mean, my view is like, oh, you know, we've got through this one, but oh God, another one's just going to come and wipe us out. In your more optimistic view, you've probably learned from this and going, oh, we can actually do better next time. Next time we should be able to stop it super early on because sadly over 10 million have died and there's been trillion dollars of damage and, you know, education loss, so many things. That does cause us to take it seriously. So this time, all of the kind of innovation, practicing, like we practice for war, we practice for earthquakes. So yeah, the next book, which will come out in May, talks about now that we know this is this gigantic risk, what inventions, what surveillance do we need? And the good news is that within uh, the- Of the virus, not people. Just want to make sure this doesn't spiral <laughs> yeah, a, into another thing. Yeah, it's a tricky word. Uh, <laughs> How about tracking? Uh, Let's see, well, that sucks too, but anyways, the virus. <laughs> the good news is that without a huge amount of government resources, this is one we can be ready for, you know, so that the whole world will be like New Zealand was this time, where not many deaths. The whole um, world yeah. will get rid of David. Yeah. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> okay, I want to yeah. end with, unfortunately I found four, I did a deep dive and I found four conspiracies that I need you to either confirm or deny. <laughs> Isn't it true that you sent out a company-wide memo to all, and I'm quoting now, employees and their respective family members 
forbidding them to see the wonderful movie Chips that I directed. I did hear that one. And isn't it also true that your anger and resentment towards this intellectual property stems from a rejection at the age of 13 from a girl who claimed, and I'm quoting, I can't go to the dance with you, Billy, because I'm in love with Ponch. And Eric Estrada, the actor who plays him, call me when you learn to ride a cop bike. And you never learned to ride a cop bike, did you? <laughs> he doesn't even know I made a movie that direct, thank God. There's gonna be a few inside yeah. jokes coming your way. And no one saw it, thanks to you. Next questions. Are you friends with Warren Buffett? He's a very good friend. Great. That's what I thought. <laughs> and doesn't Mr. Warren Buffett own Dairy Queen? He does. He mm -hmm. still does? Yeah, it's a, a franchise, so he doesn't own all the stores. But the brand, he gets like royalties every time you buy a Dilly Bar. Wow. <laughs> wow. He's the cause of my okay, here sadness, we go. childhood sadness. <laughs> And isn't it true, Bill, that in 1999, you had your good friend and bridge partner, Warren Buffett, put Monica's parents, Nirmala and Ashok, on the official employee registry, leading to widespread belief that her parents, in fact, worked at Dairy Queen, you bastard! You started this rumor. Another Ruined inside my joke. Life. Ruin my life, look at me now. Is it not true that the hospital Rob Hollis was born at, Chicago General, was running Microsoft Windows at the time of his birth? How old is he? Fuck, 30? <laughs> Likely, right? He's like 33? Yeah, at least. It it's, probably was. It's possible, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's probable. I thought so. And isn't it true that for shits and giggles, you and Steve Ballmer changed the spelling of his last name on his birth certificate from H-O-L-L-I-S, which makes sense, to the asinine spelling it currently is, H-O-L-Y-S-Z. Someone else. <laughs> and lastly, isn't it true you twisted evil genius that you became so in love with the podcast, Armchair and Dangerous, that you personally introduced COVID to New Zealand so David could never return home. <laughs> and with those conspiracies, thank you, because it set me the failure of that movie on a course to create a podcast. It sent Monica in a career path of overachieving and proving everyone wrong, and it sent David to this lovely place we all love him. Yeah. Bill Gates, we love you so much. Everybody Thanks stand up and give Bill Gates a humongous round of applause. Thank you so much. Guys. That will never happen again. You, what a treat. I hope everyone feels how special that was for uh, one of the best people on the planet to talk to us like that tonight. I was so surprised that happened. When, like, what? He's going to do it? David and Rob were like, we should reach out to Bill Gates. And I said, to, for what? Uh, restaurant tips in Seattle? 
No, to talk about the conspiracies against him. Oh, the ones he hates talking about and has silenced comments on all of his fucking posts because it's such a racket? Yeah, yeah I said no. Yeah, we, Monica and I were like, you guys are fucking crazy. Not reaching out, not even going to put them in that position. And then we got an email that said he was down to party. Not knowing. Not related to They just sent us email like the next day. Hey, we hear you're going to be in Seattle. You want to talk about Bill coming? <laughs> Sim. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, also, I would like to thank the very good folks over at Lazy Boy Boy. They keep us comfortable and they always outfit us with these fine digs. So thank you, Lazy Boy. Wonderful, wonderful. You guys, we love coming here. We hope you'll come and see us again. We'd love to come back. It's always such a pleasure. This is such a wonderful, warm space. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for jumping over all the hurdles. We love you so much. Good night.